You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Avanikit Avarsarala, an exceptional guest with more than 10 years experience on real estate investing in different commercial spaces. Please help me to welcome our guest today. How are you, Venkat? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Adam. Thanks so much for being with us today. And first thing, I want to touch base on many things here. Uh, Your experience from an engineer to single family to multifamily and then development. But before all of this, what was the beginning for you? Yeah, that's pretty much it. So I came to United States back in 2002 to pursue my master's in electrical engineering. And once that is done with the VLSA chip design and everything, but all those entry-level jobs went to Asia, different countries in Asia. Mm. And then uh, it was hard to land an entry-level job. Um, so ended up in IT and spent 14 years in IT. Uh, my last job was with Bank of America. Uh, absolutely loved IT and everything, but you know, figured that real estate is something that my has been my passion for a while because I started investing in uh, single family homes back in 2007, took a pause during the Great Recession and then restarted it in 2012. By 2016, uh, I bought 20 homes and they said that no more agency loans for me Mm. and that I still wanted to do something. Mm. And I looked at several different things like 7-Eleven gas stations, um, you know, the washer dryer parks and all the <laughs> laundromats and stuff, but came back to real estate and mm. ended up in multifamily. Mm. So uh, at that point, you know, when I was buying single family homes, I wouldn't write an offer until it cash flows 15% on day one. Mm. Yeah. Uh, income minus PITI minus 15% of the income to set it towards the maintenance. That mm. is how I used to do it. And it used to cash flow 15% on day one. Otherwise, mm. I wouldn't buy. So we, mm. I was spoiled, right? I was spoiled and called the top of the market in 2015 for single family uh, and gen, just jumped into multifamily at the time. And after that, um, you know, I ended up syndicating about like 15, 16 deals, about 3,500 units, mm. mostly in DFW, but some in uh, Denver and Phoenix as well. In last year, I sold almost all of my, no, all of my DFW. I exited Texas uh, completely. Mm-hmm. Um, basically it's, it's time. And then I still have some uh, 400 units left that I own in, uh, Phoenix and Denver. Uh, these are all syndicated properties. When I say I own, I own them with my investors. Um, mm-hmm. uh, investors were so kind. I mean, till date I have raised $141 million, no advertising, mm-hmm. nothing. It's just the people I know referrals and that kind of thing. 140 uh, million. 141 million. Yes. That's a lot. And how many yes. years? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, um, and then I was able to convince my investors to follow me into ground up construction and land development. Mm. And this is just before COVID because that before then there was really not much demand for class A properties, right? Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, there were, I live in Plano and they were building a bunch of properties here in Allen next door. Mm-hmm. And I used to get in mail these flyers saying that, hey, come sign one bedroom for $1,900 or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we'll give you $2,000 gift card. I mean, like that. I mean, mm-hmm. the demand the, is- The just, incentive yeah. is you have to have an incentive on the deal to, exactly. to make it work. So never bothered to mess with class A before COVID, but after COVID, it, it completely flipped. I mean, class A is really, at if, if you've seen collections, if you've seen the rent growth, 
uh, it's it's outperforming in, in every other class. Mm. And then that is when I decided that, you know what, let's go into the development. And especially given that the value add, the cap rates have compressed. Because when I entered in market back in 2016, I bought one Dallas property for eight cap. It's a C-class property, but for an eight cap. For that, in now, Dallas. In Dallas, Mesquite, 360 units. Now That's it's four. Now it's three and a half correct. and four. <laughs> that is correct. I closed the property in 2017, February. But now if you see, can, can you buy anything with even a five, even after, maybe now, right? Plus a little C, bit. Plus C, plus you C. can, maybe. Yeah, yeah, now, but a year before, no. no. Right, and a year before, it's like three and a half, four caps is pretty much what they traded. So what I figured is that there's just not enough spread between uh, the cap rate and the interest rate we are getting. Yeah. And the spread is how we'll make our return, right? Of course, we'll do the value add, but still the spread is very important to generate cash flow and all that. And the spread so when you're saying here is not about you as a general partner. You're talking about the two sides, the spread for the general partner and also for the passive investor. That is correct. Yes. Uh, at the deal level IRR, uh, sorry, deal level cap rate, if you're, if you're buying something for four and a half percent cap rate mm. and your interest rate is four and a half, there is no spread. Yeah. There's the spread is zero. Yeah. Um, and even if there is spread, it's it's very small. So that is when uh, I just decided to focus on ground up development and land development because there I, I was able to still do projects where we can underwrite to a six cap yield to cost, basically yield to cost uh, of six cap. And now I want to sell it at four and a half. And I created a 150 bit spread for myself and for my investors to generate a higher IRR. So that's my progression uh, from single family to multifamily and, and ground up development. And the way I think about it is if you look at stocks, right? Right now, today, the stocks which are performing well in the stock market are oil stocks, mostly energy, right? Uh, a year ago, tech. Uh, during recessions, during, we are not quite yet in recession, but during severe recessions, it's the utilities. So. You cannot say that one sector performs always, right? I mean, it, it changes. The money flows from sector to sector, sector, whatever makes sense at that point. Yeah. The same way, that is how I see real estate, like where I try to do um, the business within real estate, which makes more sense at that given time and which gives me a big margin for error. In uh, 2012, yeah, I wouldn't be buying or I wouldn't be building any multifamily because they're just practically giving it away for free for single family homes and multifamily homes for buying them at a very eight cap, nine caps and all that made perfect sense then. But right now in this low cap rate environment, ground up construction and land development is the best game in town. Uh, that's just my opinion. And that is what I'm doing. So right now you mentioned that on, mm -hmm. on the beginning of the game, was more, I think you mentioned Phoenix and Denver. So where you are actually right now focusing your land development? So I live in Plano, which is a suburb of Dallas. I really like those two markets, Phoenix and Denver, because of their low expense ratio. The property taxes are like a fraction of what we pay in Texas. In Texas, we don't have income tax. So we have one of the very highest property taxes in the country. Now, high property taxes is not a good friend of landlord, right? It's not landlord friendly, right? It's I mean, basically you, you, you when cannot... you buy, basically you're doubling your taxation. Once you buy, the, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the big problem. Again, in 2016, when I started buying existing properties in Dallas, it was not a 
concerned. We never complained about taxes, mm. but something changed around 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. It's got progressively gotten worse with mm. the way the hikes, right? Your rent grows by 3%, but your taxes go by 20%. And there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, there's, you're just helpless. So that is one of the reasons why I have hesitated. And that is why I like Phoenix and Denver because your expenses are low and they stay low. They don't go up year over year 10 20% like they do in Texas. Do you have so a, I think is, on, I think on Phoenix they have maximum I think 5% per year? 5% is the cap. So yeah. um the local authorities are not allowed to increase your tax bill more than 5% instead of Arizona. And you have no such thing in Texas. It can go up by 50%. It can double in one year and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, 100%. So that makes it very challenging. So that's why I started doing some value add last year about those 400 units uh, in uh, Phoenix and Denver. Hmm. Uh, but when it comes to the development, I'm since I live in DFW, it's much more development friendly. These cities, uh, yeah. we can get permits in let's say three to six months. It hmm. is, is reasonable time. And you cannot say that about those, those those states, right? So I do most of my development here in Dallas and Austin in the hmm. state of Texas, even though I'm pursuing some projects uh, to build in uh, Phoenix and Denver. So how you see, um, how you see, like basically, as you mentioned, you prefer working on um, more um, land, landlord, landlord and development friendly market, especially on Texas when you're building, but when you're dealing with landlord laws for buy and hold on multifamily, it's better to work with Phoenix uh, where there's an actual cab on the property tax. But, but on the same time, I think one of the things of Phoenix of the high price per door and the compressed cab rate, how you deal with the high price per door or Hypers Bredor, it's because of the value you get on, on Phoenix, because basically a lot of net immigration coming from San Francisco to Phoenix. You see a lot of development because of Google, Amazon, and Microsoft on Phoenix. But how you deal with the compressed cap rate? See, that's the thing. There is a reason why, I mean, cap rates, it's not widely different from Dallas to Phoenix. Maybe yeah. another 50, bu 50 bips on tops, right? Mm. But people do see, like, I mean, they sometimes show me a class C property in Houston for 70,000. And similar looking properties, similar kind of an area is like $180,000 in Phoenix. And people think that they're getting a better deal buying in Houston. Hmm. That's not the case. The, the only reason for that is in Texas, the expense ratio on a class C property will be 60%, meaning you bring in a dollar in rent, you spend 60 cents back on the property that's on operational costs, taxes, insurance, and all that before PIT, before uh, mortgage, before principal and interest. Mm. Now, once you pay the principal and interest, your break-even occupancy is like 80, 85%. Mm. So until 80, 85% pay, pay the rent, you won't even break even in Texas. So mm. you make that small margin on the top, right? Mm. So your NOI is that much lower. Right, because uh, sixty percent, you bring in a dollar, uh, is sixty cents go to the expenses before PITA, and you 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 have to apply the cap rate on that forty cents. But it's the other way around in Denver and Phoenix. Their expense ratios, even on Class C properties, I have seen some thirty percent, maybe thirty five, but not sixty. Hmm. So you bring in a dollar, you're keeping seventy to sixty five to seventy cents as NOI. So dollar for dollar rent your NOI is almost twice there. Hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. you apply the same cap rate, of course, you, you'll end up with 
two times the price of the Texas property over there, right? And people think that, no, 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 that's just expensive real estate and all that. It's That's not the way these things are valued, right? It's all, the property is only worth uh, the NOI it brings in, right? So I definitely uh, like the story of Denver and Phoenix because once you pay that high price, right? Hmm. That's it, the, the expenses stay put and now you can do a value add and you can, raise your rents and NOI along with it. In Texas, you can raise your rents all day long. Doesn't mean that you'll be able to raise your NOI. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Because yes. your uh, your expenses are not put. It keeps going up and sometimes they even outspo- outpace the income growth. So I would even argue that a Class C property, more than likely their NOI will reduce than increase. Because of the physical occupancy or is that regular? Because of high property taxes and insurance and then high upkeep, right? So Mm. Texas weather is very rough. We get a lot of wind, hail, uh, hurricanes, floodings and all that. Um, So what will happen is the spread and also our our dirt is, is very clay. And what happens is it expands and contracts so much. So it just... Overall, the weather is very rough on the property. And especially when you buy a 60s, 70s properties, yeah. what you will do end up doing is you'll come in, you'll spend a bunch of money, do the CapEx, but then you th- you are not done. As you operate the property, suddenly your pipes separate. Uh, you, you're, you have to replace uh, some pipes, you know, foundation issues, and your roof has blown off, right? I mean, it's just so much upkeep that uh, will, I mean, where will that money come from? Especially after you complete your CapEx, that has to come from cash flow if there is any, or you have to do a cash flow. So that makes it very challenging to own and operate. And and I know what I'm talking about because I did this before uh, 3000 units in Dallas over for five years and it was very stressful. And you can still do it if you can buy them at, let's say, 60000 a door. But to, at today's price, the, the margin is just non-existent. Uh, that's, that's why I see a lot of, like, a big shift on the investor side is moving from the C-class, which is 1970 and 60, to more like a B plus to yeah. A because of all of that, because there's no margin anymore to Absolutely. make, especially on the C-class when you are whole strategy is on adding value, but you cannot do refinance now because there is no spread with the new interest hike. So now it's really tough to work on C-class, I think. Absolutely. See, if you say take, let's, there's a whole different problem, dimension to this problem, right? So over the 10 years, the rents probably doubled, right? Uh, 100% growth. Uh, now, I don't think the wages doubled in the last 10 years. No. So this classy, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, tenant is like stretched like a rubber band, yeah. we're ready to snap. And now you add inflation to it. At least last 10 years, we, we 2% or less inflation, at least the print, right? I mean, I think the, the headline uh, print. This year is 9.1% for inflation. And now it's 9.1%. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> not only their, their wages did not kept up with rents, yeah. but now the inflation is through the roof and mm-hmm. it just hurts that that lower end of the society more than anybody else, the class C tenant, right? So true. your collection risk went through the roof. And we saw what happened when uh, the government put a, a eviction moratorium and say that it's okay not to pay rent. I mean, it, a lot of, th- there was a lot of trouble which came out of that, right? I mean, the collections dropped and the government stepped in and helped with, rental assistance and all that eventually. Uh, but it just showed us how vulnerable we are with these classy properties. Um, 
trying to, you cannot push like $150, $200 rand. Mm. Uh, I mean, no longer you can do that because they're at their max. Is what That's my opinion. 100%, 100%. Uh, let's jump back to the pre-development because this is basically your, your niche right now. As you know, with pre-development, zoning, permits, community, op- community opinion, environmental, what is your actual current um, strategy? Is it only upzoning or paperwork only or rural land development? What is your niche actually right now? So since I live in Dallas, uh, my network um, is in Texas mostly, even though I would love to do the same thing what I'm doing here in Phoenix and Colorado. Mm. But you have to play where your strengths are, right? My mm. strengths are here. I know more people here at my network. I have access to some quality deals, off-market land deals and things like that over here. But I'm not opposed to doing this in uh, Phoenix and Denver also. But mm. let's speak why I like um you know, land development here. Hmm. So we talked about how big of an issue the property taxes and insurance are in the state of Texas. Yeah. The beauty about land development is there is no insurance. It's land. There's nothing to insure, right? Hmm. And even coming to property taxes, until a developer breaks ground, you can more often than not can get an ag exemption and your taxes are like this, even like in Texas. You right? mean appealing? Appealing the, uh, land, the taxes, basically? No. So uh, agri- um, agricultural exemption. So uh, let's okay. say you have a piece of land, and you put that land under a development agreement with the city. So technically, it is zone kind of thing, meaning you already have a buy-in from a city that you can build multifamily. But you don't take it to public hearing and council mm. until you are ready to break ground. All this while, you know that you can go build multifamily there, mm. uh, barring those two other steps that you have to complete. But you can claim an agricultural exemption there and your mm. property taxes are like zero. Almost okay. zero. Okay. But let's say I want to actually want to build on that land now. Now I'll take it to PNZ, Planning and Zoning Commission, and then City Council, public hearing and all that. And I'll formally get zoned. And from that day onwards, it'll be reassessed without an agricultural exemption. But that's okay. I I already started building on it, right? So you have these kind of... um, um, so you have a lot of leeway dealing with the land where the two biggest issues in, in state of Texas are property taxes and insurance. You can dodge both those bullets, right? So you go buy a big parcel, take it through city, uh, put a PD on it, plan development on it. And if required, if the utilities are not around, get a mud approved, um, get all these different land uses parcels, keep the ones you want, sell the ones you don't want. A lot of flexibility. Right. That's why I land I like land development. Now, if you try to do this in a places where there is no population growth and all that, who's gonna buy? Okay, you're gonna do all mm. this thing. Who's gonna mm. buy it? Right. Yeah. But the beauty about Dallas is it's just growing like crazy, right? I mean that. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of people are just pouring in and and, and, uh, the city is bursting at the seams and just keep expanding. So you go and buy in the path of the progress and do this thing and be ready and and you'll be able to quickly offload your land. And basically what you're saying is based on the actual horse winner now, which is the Southeast, where the whole market fundamental is basically shifting like crazy to all of Dallas, Florida, Texas, Florida, and Georgia. And this is with basically the reasoning of the new uh, need for the the development. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Because look, land is everywhere, right? But somebody would want to do something with that land. Uh, And we are not talking about speculation here. Okay, let's buy something up and let's hope that somebody will come along. No, we got to do this where there is demand. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and the demand actually comes from people. Yeah. From, from jobs moving here, that will create office demand. From people moving here, that creates single-family homes, multifamily, retail, hotels, and all that stuff, right? Without people, you might as well just not do anything. You just sit quietly, right? So that's why that makes Dallas, um, uh, I mean, best in the country in absorption. I mean, what more do you want to hear, right? The best. If you build a 300-unit property, 300-unit property, you can lease it up faster in Dallas than any other metro in the country. Hmm. That's the because that's of how the demand. Yeah, because demand of the demand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think uh, this is basically what I'm trying to say now is more about your experience on land development. There's multiple stages to start land development, and this is one of the reasons that you need more like an active sponsor with you or a team, especially that you have planning, land acquisition, design, construction, and financing. But how was the beginning for you to actually refine your team and uh, reach your secret sauce to start an actual uh, coordinated uh, team to work on land development? So my thing is like, look, um, I don't know what I don't know, right? So tomorrow I, I may start something else. Maybe I'll start building hotels. I'm just making this up. Well, <laughs> I had no... No yeah. idea how to underwrite a hotel, never operated a hotel. But yeah. let's say if today, hypothetically speaking, if let's say hotel is the thing, then I want to be participating in it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not just going to sit out saying that I don't know how to do a hotel. So, well, how do I plug the experience gap? By bringing somebody who does it for the last 20, 30 years, yeah. right? So you go out, network, and, and, and call, call, call people until you find that kind of partner that you're looking for, mm. who has that experience and who has clean background, no issues, because otherwise you won't get the loans, right? I mean, if, if, if their past is a little spotty and stuff like that. So you have to do the due diligence on the person and all that. Mm. And then you partner with them and, and bring their experience. See, I can do the syndication part, right? I can, I can um, uh, do the project management part. And I can uh, deal with uh, investor management and all these other stuff. But let's say when it comes to the underwriting a hotel hmm. or bringing the correct GC who specializes in the hotel, right? That is where I I lack that, that skill set right now. Eventually, I'll pick it up. But today, I don't know that. And I'm not going to make all the mistakes in the book on my investor's time. Basically, I'm not going to learn on my investor's time. So hmm. I'm going to bring somebody who has that experience. But the most important thing is, you got to play in the in that particular sub asset class which is performing the best at any given time right that that's that's why i moved from single family to value add multifamily and from from there to ground up construction I, I all in the space of real estate but yeah i think i was trying to say here is um what was your leverage to partner with um a gc uh in his point of view especially Based on what you said, and but based on what your experience, you're able to raise money. So you you bring something to the table. What I'm trying to yeah, say, yeah, I bring the land, I bring the land equity, and the operations and all that. So yeah. basically, experience is the only thing missing in that particular thing. In that particular thing, right? So yeah. I can hire a vendor. There are so many developers for hire. You can literally we call them owner reps, yeah. and it's much cheaper to go with a owner rep 
than a developer, right? Yeah. But the problem there is there is nothing binding that owner rep to my project. If we find something else, he might give me a two-week <laughs> notice and leave that in the works. And that'll be a big problem, right? Yeah. So that's why I, I don't do that. I bring in a proper developer who has at least 20, 30, 40 years experience who have done this at least a dozen times uh, and then bring them in as a partner, not as a vendor. That's key. Right. I mean, with this experience, what we'll have is, first of all, you know, you don't have to talk to four, five, ten GCs to pick one. We already know which one to go with because of this person has already done that. Right. And we get a better pricing and all that because of the relationship, uh, relationship uh, strength that the person brings in. And also we get prioritized. Do you know how hard it is to get hold of an architect today and ask them to like, hey, can you put a site plan? They'll say, yeah, I'll talk to you in two months. But it takes them <laughs> two days to do that. But yeah. they're just so backed up. Yeah. And yeah. if I'm new to them, then yes, I have to wait two months. Yeah. But if I go with a developer who has so much history with this particular architect, then yes, I will get my site map in two, two, two days. Which is basically coming to this point, which is basically as a risk on land development, because the time here is really money, how fast you can close and Absolutely. how is your team is experienced to finish in shorter periods of time, because more time you're uh, against the inflation, you're against the interest rate, and it's a risk. It's basically one of the biggest risks on land development, in, in my point of view. No, absolutely. Right. So that's why you, but you do, you get, you don't get, you, you don't need to buy land in 60 days like you would on an apartment complex. You get much bigger runways, yeah. minimum 60 to 90 days, just the due diligence so that we can order survey, uh, topo if necessary, if, if it's not a flat land. Yeah. And then we, uh, we order phase one, just like we would on an apartment complex and we order geotech. Um, wetland delineations. There's just so much stuff that you have to do, not with our own hands, but it, yeah. we have to still coordinate with the civil engineer and it takes a lot of time. So meanwhile, it just gives you so much time to underwrite it 10 different ways, talk to 10 different people. So you have much, much bigger runway dealing with uh, land development. And if you are buying big parcels, let's say 50 acres, 100 acres, 1,000 acres, sometimes you get six to 12 months. Mm. Right. So you have a much bigger runway and you can hedge yourself by properly negotiating the terms. So I really like the land development um, and, and similarly ground up development. 100%. I think after what you said, after 140 million of raising capital, what was more appealing for your business model as a syndication model or as a fund model? Uh, I always like syndication model because till then I, I make passive investments in other people's deals and I couldn't pull myself to invest in a fund till date. Yeah. Something is like, uh, I, I like that asset. I'll invest in it. Mm -hmm. But when you show me a fund and you show me a couple of sample ones, I don't know what the next six, seven, eight projects are going to look like. Mm -hmm. And somehow it's my personal limitation. I'm not nothing against funds. It's just my personal limitation yeah. that I cannot invest in a fund. So then why would I do a fund, <laughs> right? So if I myself are hesitant to invest in a fund, so it's my personal limitation. I got nothing against uh, funds, but that's why I have always doing uh, one-off. Let's jump to the hardest question on the show, which is what is your superpower? My superpower, I would say is like, if you see that how I scaled, you know, my mm -hmm. background is not even real estate. It's in 
electrical engineering, and then I pivoted to IT. And from there, I pivoted to single family, multifamily, ground up construction, and tomorrow, I don't know whatever it is. <laughs> my yeah. my superpower is with not get spooked by the complexity and just embrace the complexity, learn, learn, learn. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, uh, have a personality where people would want to work with you. I did not come all the, this way. And I'm approaching a billion dollars in assets, mm -hmm. um, 850 million as of right now. And I'm closing one other project by the end of this, uh, end of this month. And soon I'll have a billion dollars either sold or being developed or being managed. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm able to do that all this because people chose to work with me, right? Mm -hmm. So that I would say is my superpower is understanding complexity and being able to work with people. My next question will be for you. How you see uh, who is your influential mentor in your real estate career so far? So I would say uh, that my local leaders here, so I got like three mentors. Uh, one is Jerry Jones, mm. uh, who is the owner of Dallas Cowboys, but he's a very big investor here in Dallas. Mm. Um, I follow him. And then there is this gentleman called Merdad Moyadi. Uh, mm. He's the chairman of Centurion American Group. He takes down like 3,500 acres and just tear it up, do cool stuff with it. He takes down big, big malls in very affluent areas, dilapidated malls, and just raise big things. I really admire that. He's an immigrant. He's an Iranian immigrant. Uh, and then just he built an empire around him. And that's just super admiration for him. And then the third person would be Sam Zell. Sam Zell is a chairman of Equity Residential. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's based out of New York, been doing real estate since uh, 1960s, 70s, and the equity residential owns 80,000 units. So he's the guy who kind of articulated and put in my head that, look, the people that you really ought to be catering now more than ever is class eight in it. Mm. Right, class. You always knew that, but once somebody comes in and articulate in a certain way, and especially somebody who has fifty years experience, now things become a lot clearer for you. So I would consider these three people are my mentors. Um, finally, I would like to thank you for being with us today, and I would like to ask you how the people can reach out and follow your success. Well, they, uh, they can. Um, Go to my website. There you have a Calendly link that you can set up something. My website is striker, S-T-R-Y-K-E-R, properties.com. And um, that way you can reach me or you can just email me at Venkat, V-E-N-K-A-T, at striker, S-T-R-Y-K-E-R-P-R-O-P.com. Thank you a lot, Venkat, for your time today. And we're really bring, happy to bring you again to the show to talk more about your success on multifamily. Sounds good. Thank Thanks you, sir. a lot. Thank you. Mm -hmm.